Hello and welcome to My Life, My Journey podcast. The show that talks about mental health issues and the battles that I've faced. People say men need to speak up and so here I am and with this podcast to do just that. This podcast isn't to be used to act as a substitute for mental health counselling and I am not a therapist in any way, shape or form. I'm just here to give you ways in which I dealt with my mental health in hope that it may help you. Hi guys and welcome to another episode of My Life, My Journey podcast. Something new today, I thought I'd uh, give you all a something to to think about on the social media side of things a friend of mine has told me that i need to make a facebook page to try and promote this podcast to get to more ears of people that are suffering in silence so i've opened up a facebook page it's my life my journey podcast sorry if it's a little difficult to find on there because it's quite new um but hopefully you will find i'll try and put the links in the description in the show notes after, for this podcast show today any of you wanted to give a big shout out so roger our previous guest that come on um last thursday and friday is now the show's producer so i want to give him a, a bit of a cheer on that yay roger the man <laughs> any of you i've got a fantastic guest for you today all the way from north carolina just south of maryland yeah North Carolina. Um, David Price, everybody. Um, he is a certified professional life coach. Hopefully I've got that right, David. You got it exactly right, Jermaine. Well done. So tell me a little bit about yourself, David. Sure. So I, um, I've actually been a minister. I'm a Christian minister. I've done that for over 30 years. Um, I'm married for about 30 years. I've got three children in their 20s uh, and a grandson. And um, I have, um, I'm still in ministry, but about six years ago, I started, uh, I got certified in professional life coaching because of um, a transformation that I went through that I'm happy to talk about, Jermaine, if, if you would, would like to do that. Uh, but I was stuck in misery and frustration for about three decades I was a very unhappy person, and um, it got as bad as it could get. I reached out to a friend, and he got me started in personal development, and that led to a bunch of other things. And I was just so excited, Jermaine, about the way I was growing, the happiness that I was creating, the joy I had. And um, I just wanted to talk about it all the time. I think my family got tired of hearing about it, so I thought, well, I need to find somebody else I can talk to about it. So I started coaching and I've been doing that for about six years. Oh, that's brilliant. And I, I definitely like to hear about happy people and positive things because I, I don't know, since, since 2017, I'm, I'm more negative than I am positive in the, in the day. So hearing positivity makes me a lot happy and I know it, it promotes positivity as well. If somebody's really, really happy. So no, well done to that. So what, what caused you to be so unhappy in the first place? Is there? A, would you like to go into that a bit? Or yeah, sure, and absolutely. So, when I was seven years old, Jermaine, my father uh, died. I uh, left my mother and myself. I'm an only child, um, and anybody who knows me uh, will tell you that <laughs> I am an only child for sure. I am spoiled, and I think it's all about me. So, um, <laughs> but it left my mother and myself, and losing my father was a devastating blow to me. And I allowed it to be an excuse for 
um, everything that went wrong in my life, everything that I failed to do well. Um, I just thought I lost my dad. I didn't have anybody to teach me what it's like to be a man, uh, to do, you know, to just be functional. And I just, my life fell apart and I allowed that to stay that way for about 30 years. And, um, you know, I just didn't do anything well. I felt like a failure. I hated myself. I was about a hundred pounds overweight and, um, and it just got it really, really bad eventually. And so uh, I'm a slow learner, Jermaine. It took me about 30 years to figure out that something was wrong. But um, so I reached out to a friend of mine and he shared a book with me called The University of Success by Og Mandino. And I swear to you, by chapter two, I was a brand new man. Um, it had it taught me that I could take control of my life, that I could uh, be active and uh, take actions, make decisions, um, and I could change my life. And so that book led to a lot of other books, coaches, seminars, etc. And I just, as I said, I just fell in love with personal growth and development, and it completely changed my life. And I was so excited about helping other people do that as well. So that's why I coach. Oh, brilliant. Um, just as you, as you went past it, I wanted to um, know what, what's the name of that book so I could uh, make a note of that. I'd like to check that out yeah. myself, especially if it's changed your life by chapter two. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally did. Yeah, The University of Success by Og 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 Mandino. I'm going to give that a give that a read because I, <laughs> I need that in my life. I think so. So I imagine what. So you're seven years old when you when you lost your father. You know your role model, your rock. Do you have any good memories of you of your pops? They, they, Very you remember few. It's always stuck in your in your head. Yeah. Like Very few. Um, I remember very little about him. Um, just a couple of snippets here and there. Um, unfortunately, one of the few memories I have is of him losing his temper, and he he wasn't abusive. He was a, a ter- he was a terrifically wonderful father and man. Um, just as a side note, I think that I think that all the praise that was heaped on my father ended up sort of causing me some problems because I think it gave me sort of the image of a man that I could never live up to. And and I don't think, Jermaine, that I've ever admitted that to anybody before. So um so well done on on good on asking good questions. Um, but, um, but the, the one memory that stands out clearly to me is him losing his temper. And it stands out so clearly because he didn't do that. He was very calm and loving and kind, but he was working on something one time and he he got mad and he threw the thing down. Uh, and he was so angry. And the reason I mentioned that is because, um, that also became an excuse uh, for me, I, I used that as an excuse for my own bad temper. And I thought, well, my dad had a bad temper and he passed it on to me, so I can't help it. And that was yeah. just another example of a way in which I allowed something to be an excuse rather than taking control. Yeah, but at the same time, you can't blame yourself for that either because you you have had a devastating loss at such a young age, you know, really young, at a time of well, the sort of age where you need that role model around you to teach you how to grow, you know, you're coming into a teenager to adulthood. So you, you do need that. So I, I can totally understand that. I mean, I 
we we left my dad when I was six years old. And wow. luckily for us, we had a stepdad who took us on. He was my dad's friend, but he was only 15 years old and he took four kids on. And he's still with us wow. today. He's been a great stepfather, a great role model. And my, well, a lot of my friends will say I'm a lot different to my siblings because I'm more like my stepdad, where I believe I've got to work every day kind of thing. <laughs> I right. try not to have any days off. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because yeah. it's got to keep my, my mind going. If I if I stop, I'm start crawling the walls. I used to have a shift before called uh, four on, four off. I don't know if you have that over there in the States, but it was like four shifts of 12 hours, mm-hmm. and then you have four mm-hmm. days off. Yeah. And on those four days off, I was literally scratching the walls. Yeah. My missus couldn't cope with me being in the house moping. So I don't know what she's going to be like when I come to retirement. (laughs) (laughs) She may not let you retire, Jermaine. She may tell you you can't retire. (laughs) Exactly. But I've got this little dream that I'm going to buy myself a, um, like a camper van, so to speak. A little bit, well, I was going to say like um, American, American, what they're called. The two guys that go around in the Mercedes Sprinter collecting antiques. I forget what they're called. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it's the American guys. They go around to different farms and they find all these antiques like oh, gasoline cool. signs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really good. And they get some right good barnyard finds and old cars and stuff. Um, cool. But yeah, I want to do that. I want to do I want to travel through Europe. Um, I do want to get back into stateside as well because I do love America. I'd love to go to Cali um, and just sure. travel all across yeah. like Route 66 and all of that, because I like my aliens and UFO stuff. Obviously, <laughs> this ain't the, this ain't the place for that, because, but, you know, it, I, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of retirement, just to keep my mind occupied on, on certain things. But to hear you're putting yourself down because of stuff like that, it's quite heartbreaking at the same time. Um, how did your... How how was your mum during this time? Did You know, how did it affect your mother? Do, do you remember that kind of thing? Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't very much aware of it at the time um, because, you know, I was a kid and I I didn't know uh, much of what she was dealing with. Now that I'm an adult and I've had to raise three children with help with my wife, um, I know how difficult that must have been. And, you know, she had to work a full time job. She had to do the housework. She had to do the cooking. She had to do all the parenting. Um, And I, I cannot imagine having to have done that and the strength of character that it takes for her to have done that. So a great deal of respect for my mother. So I I wasn't really tuned in much to how she was feeling, but now that I look back on it, I can certainly respect the, um, the strength of character that it took to do what she did. I was going to say, yeah, a real great commitment there to keep it all together. Definitely. Um, And obviously to raise you into, into the man you are today. So she's obviously done a very, very good job. So big up to David's mom. <laughs> I will tell her you said. I will tell her you that. said so, Jermaine. Thank you. <laughs> well, it does. It takes us. It takes a special. Like I've always said it. Women are far superior than men. They can have babies. We can't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and to and to carry a baby for nine months, and you know, and then to give birth and go through all that pain. I remember when my missus gave birth to our first child, and. Although she was the one in pain, I was in so much agony inside watching her go through that pain because I thought I've I should have half of that responsibility. I should have half of that pain. But women are so so powerful at what they can do. So uh, yeah, you know, definitely. and it shows. It shows. Look at the bloke you are today. You know, and you've obviously got on well in life. Like you just said, there you're married as well with with three children. 
So for me, she's put you into society on, on great speed, if you like. Yeah, that's a great point, Jermaine. I mean, and I, I appreciate that perspective. You know, normally my perspective is on my shortcomings and failures and that sort of thing. Um, but you're right. Um, even though I was wayward in many ways for many years, it does say something about her. Um, and if I'm going to be honest about me, that I was able to eventually find my way back. Um, and so you're right, Jermaine, that's an excellent point that I don't know that I've given enough credit to, uh, that, you know, that a person that finds their way back, even if they're a hot mess, as we say in the States, I don't know if you say that, uh, in the UK, but, um, but that somebody like me, that was a hot mess for 30 years that eventually is able to make change is, I mean, that's a compliment to me and to her. So thank you for that perspective. Well, you you deserve it because. I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how are you, how old are your kids and where are they educational-wise and their behavior? Because I can only imagine that they're great and that will that speaks volumes on you and your partner on raising those children. So yeah. you can't be that bad of a person. <laughs> right. You, 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 right. Well, well, you you know, you might think, oh, I was wayward or it could just be teenage years and acting out. You've lost your dad. You had every right to act out. But yeah. your mum gave you the right foundation, as did your dad. Believe it or not, you had that right foundation from right from wrong. And yeah, absolutely. You, bit, you know, yeah. No, I love I love what you're saying, and you know what you're saying, Jermaine is is a lot of what we do as life coaches is to help people get a different perspective on what's going on. And so you know, we we don't we don't blame, we don't talk about blame, we don't blame anything or anyone. Um, we do have to do a lot of work. I've, one of my programs is for husbands and fathers who uh, want to stop taking their frustration and stress out on their wives and kids. That's a program that I have specifically for men. And, um, you know, and one of the things that we, we have to work with, particularly with men, is congratulating themselves, celebrating their wins. Um, and not being too hard on themselves. And I just did the other day, I was talking to one of my clients and he said this, he said, you know, you keep telling me that I need to celebrate wins that I need to pat myself on the back. And he said, it's just weird. He said, it's hard for me to do. I'm not used to doing it. So you're exactly right. This is something that we all need to learn to do. Remove blame, remove this beating ourselves up and just realize that we're doing the best we can. And when we do something that's good, even if it's something small, congratulate ourselves and feel how wonderful that feel. Exactly. Exactly that. I mean, I beat myself up quite a lot. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I'm the world's greatest dad because I'm in a, I'm a truck driver. So I'm out all the time. Um, but I look at what we've got. We've got a roof over our heads. We've got warm meals in our tummies and we've got gas and electric and, and clean water to bathe in. So, I always think that you can't always beat yourself up because there are little things in the world. If it wasn't for you being here, if it wasn't for you doing the things you do, then it will be a whole different way of living. And like you were just saying there, when, you, when you're telling people to congratulate themselves, it's big. It's the way to do it because blame only produces negative thoughts and negative reactions and you're going to end up doing something stupid. It's a bit like a dog. I was using this analogy the other day. Um, at, at work 
if you were to treat your employees with loyalty, respect, and love, and pat them on the head once in a while, <laughs> they're going to bend over backwards to do whatever yeah. they can to keep you pleased. A bit like a dog, a little tiny puppy. You pat him on the head, his tail's waggling, and he'll keep bringing that ball back. But if you tell a dog off so many times, the dog eventually will turn around and bite you on the ass. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way I look at it. So, hundred percent to congratulate yourselves and stuff like that. I mean, I've never looked at life coaching. I believe I may well benefit from life coaching um, with my personal relationship, my relationship with my children, because we're not around each other a hell of a lot of time. And and when we are, there's a lot of clashing because mum will say yes, and then they'll or, or mum will say no, and then the kids will come over to me and try and bend right. my finger to yep. do the opposite and then that'll get yep. me and my missus arguing like i've just told yep. him no gone to you and you've said yes so we need to communicate but that's something i need to work on 100 percent. so it's it's one of them things <laughs> well i would encourage you and anyone to certainly uh, look into life coaching you know this is still sort of, of a new thing and I, I get a lot of people who say to me you know what what is a life coach? what do you do and this is one reason that i don't really tell people I'm a life coach because nobody knows what it is. I'd rather tell people what I actually do, uh, which is is help people decide where they want to go or if they know where they want to go, how to get there. And then I have this program for husbands and fathers. But certainly, I, I think everyone should explore life coaching. I have a coach. Um, you know, everybody who is, a, a, who is successful, Jermaine, has coaches. Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer maybe in history, has coaches. LeBron James, who's the greatest basketball player at the moment, he has coaches. Um, and, you know, for some reason, the rest of us feel like that we don't need that sort of thing. Uh, my belief is that everybody needs it. No matter what level you are, there's someone who can help you get to the next level. No matter what you're dealing with, you've got some struggle or you're stuck somewhere and somebody somewhere has the answer for that. And I really feel like that everybody should at least examine life coaching and look into it and see if it might not be helpful. No, I'm definitely going to to be looking into it. So I guess it's a little bit like a mentor for, for, for the person to try and steer their life in the right direction, I guess, with the life coaching, is it? Yeah, it's got some mentorship aspects of it for sure. That is part of it, uh, Jermaine, definitely. The way that I describe it is um, we provide three things, which are knowledge, tools and support. Um, and I think that that's really the, those are the three essentials to getting anything done are knowledge, tools, and support. So we tell you things that you may not otherwise know simply because we've experienced it or not because we're smarter than anybody else. But um, as, as trained life coaches, we've learned some things that other people may not know. So we give you information. Um, but but information without knowing how to use it is worthless. And so we give you the tools. We give you actual things that you can take and do uh, in a day that are going to help you to grow and succeed. And then we give you support as well. Um, the Bible talks about how important it is to have people around you, supporting you, holding you up, uh, picking you up, um, walking with you. This is so crucial. And so many people don't have the right kind of support. They either have no support 
or they've got a lot of negative people around them dragging them down. Um, you know, a lot of people, if they tell their friends, Hey, I want to start a business and, you know, and do this or that, you know, a lot of people will say, what are you talking about? You don't know anything about business. You can't do that. You can't do this. Um, you know, like Jermaine with you starting a podcast, I mean, you're not a quote unquote podcaster. You haven't been trained in podcasting. You don't have a journalism degree, but who cares? Um, you know, everybody around you, Jermaine should, should, should rally around you and cheer you on and say, you know, if you want to start, go start it and we're behind you and we're going to support it and you're going to be awesome at it. That's the kind of support that people should get, but most people don't. And so as life coaches, we give those three things, knowledge, tools, and support. That's absolutely perfect. Weird, uh, you touched on that right at the end as well, because I did say that in a, a previous show of mine, actually, about, um, I forget what show it was, but it was about, you wouldn't ask advice to buy a car of somebody who'd never driven a car because they're always going to give you the negative feedback or, uh, or right. like, like I said with the business, if you want to get into a business, oh, I wouldn't get into that business if I was you. But yeah. the thing is they've never actually worked in that business or know how that business works. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's an adage over here called uh, crabs in a barrel. If you've ever yes. heard that. A hundred percent. Yes. And and I was speaking to a friend of mine about my Facebook page. So I'm a bit scared about sharing it to my to my friends kind of thing. Because you, you see a lot of people at the minute sharing this little post on Facebook where it says, oh, please can all my friends share this to show that mental health works and that we are listening. And I'm thinking it's just a post. And when you actually dial down to it, all you're doing is copy and pasting a thing that's not actually helping the person it's aimed at, the mental health people. Right. And I says, well, why don't you share the podcast? Why don't you share a mental health podcast? Something that the person can listen to. Now, they may be in your friendship group right now that you don't even know that they suffer with it because they're too scared to tell you that they're suffering with it. Mm, so they're yeah. in silence. Yes. But they may secretly click play on that and it may just save that person because none of us know what people are going through. I found that out with... With Roger, you went through quite a long time of um, trying to, you know, I don't like saying the word, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. And it was quite sad and emotional to know that people are going through that on a day-to-day basis. So I like the life coaching bit. I really do like that. I like what you're doing. I like how you've, you offer the free things there as well. You know, it, that, that will help people. So on the back of that, the question that I've sort of got floating in my head, because I think it will help those talk people, do you deal with any kind of juveniles or anything like that for like rehabilitation centers to, to make them believe in themselves rather than thinking to themselves, all I am is a criminal? No, you're not a criminal. You just got the wrong mindset. Do, do you ever deal with any of them types of, of people? I I haven't for a long time. I used to work years ago. Um, I used to work with juveniles um, in the the government uh, justice system. I've done that. Um, I have, so I, so I don't do that now. And I don't specifically work with uh, like large uh, populations of at-risk youth and that sort of thing. What I have done, Jermaine, over the last 20 plus years is um, work with young people at church. Obviously, I'm in ministry, but also um, I teach high school and I have coached youth sports for 
this year is the first year that I haven't done it in over 20 years. I've just stepped aside from coaching youth sports. And the reason that coaching youth sports was important to me was not because I'm that good at um, knowing the sports all that well, because I'm not a good, as we would say, a good X's and O's coach. I don't know, you know, really how to coach a sport all that well. But what I do have is a deep love of young people. And what I do know is that there are lots and lots of young people who have really bad home lives. Um, for all sorts of reasons, they're hurting and they're suffering and they need a father figure like I did. They need a mother figure. They need a big brother or sister. And I have been so blessed and so happy to coach youth sports and to be that for so many people. Uh, Just this past Father's Day, um, one of the kids that I used to coach years ago reached out to me and wished me a happy Father's Day. Um, And I still, you know, all these kids still call me coach. They hug me when they see me. Um, I tell them I love them. They love me. Um, And simply because, Jermaine, I, I just really went out of my way to notice them, to listen to them, to ask about them, to hug them. Um, and to just be a friend to them. And so one thing that I would say to your audience is you don't have to be a a trained professional to make an impact on young people. Coach a team. If you don't know how to coach a team, assistant coach, be a team mom. We have those in the States. I don't know if you have them in the UK, but you know, a, a kind of a mom who brings snacks and gets transportation, that sort of thing. Um, you know, go, you know, go, um, volunteer at a youth center or a community center and just be intentional about noticing and asking and talking with young people. You don't have to be trained to do that. You just have to care. And I I tell you, Jermaine, I have, and I'm not bragging by any means, but I'm just, I'm trying to encourage your listeners to do the same thing. Um, the impact that you can have on generations of young people just by doing something like that is beyond what you could imagine. Well, it is, especially if they're not getting that support from home, like you said, if some of them have got bad home lives, to have a mentor or life coach as you're you're doing and being there for them a little bit. I keep getting the picture of Robert De Niro in the film Sleepers, if if you ever watched that film. I I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Tell me about it. Oh, if you're not. So Sleepers is it's quite an old film. It's got Brad Pitt in it. It's got Robert De Niro, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon, not, is it Kevin Bacon? Yeah, Kevin Bacon. He's in it. He plays one of, he's quite a horrible per, uh, prison officer. In it. It's a young, it's a young juvenile centre. And these, these kids at the start, they, they accidentally kill a hot dog stand. Well, no, no, sorry. Let me go back. They rob a hot dog stand that was on the side of the street in, um, I forget, is it Hell's Kitchen? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they robbed, they run down this street with this hot dog stall. Because what they used to do is they used to basically say, can we have a hot dog or whatever? And then one of the guys would run off stealing a hot dog. So then the hot dog guy will run after that kid, but leaving his hot dog stand there oh, with all the right. hot dogs. 
So his friends would then all take as much food as they want. But this particular time, they ran off with it and balanced it over the um, underground, the the train station underground over mm-hmm. the steps. But then they they lost oh, wow. of it, and obviously the trolley went down, killed this bloke. Oh, and, well, yeah. Um, yeah, they ended up in this um, young offender centre, and the 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 prison office weren't very nice. There was a lot of um, child molestation in there. Mm-hmm. But what a film! I, I mean, I got it. I found out about it by reading the book first. Somebody gave me the book, and I read it, and then I realised, oh wow, there's a film. It's based on a movie, so I I went out and got it. But Robert De Niro played um, a priest, like a father, if you like, and he he sort of looked out for these kids ever since there was in you know since there was young. He's always been there, and then he went to visit them in prison as well and whatnot until they got out. And a couple of them, I believe, turned out really well. I'm not sure if it's based on a true story. I I'm not too sure. I think it might be. But, yeah, the impact on that, by just giving time and investing that time with young people, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know I would have benefited from something like that because I used to love going to youth clubs as a kid. Yeah. Pool, snooker, bit of darts and football outside or soccer to you guys <laughs> yeah so, yeah i did too I, I benefited so much from having uh particularly men uh in my life who cared about me coaches and and that sort of thing um you know one of the one of the really interesting things is um about the coaching coaching sports um is that you know i was not uh the angry frustrated coach um that i was a husband and father at home. Um, and it's, it's really interesting how we can sort of, we can be one thing at one place and a different thing at a, at a different place. Um, you know, unfortunately my wife and my kids saw a side of me that nobody else really ever saw. Um, my wife would sometimes say to me when I was angry with her and frustrated, she would say, did you use up all your niceness on everybody else? Um, and that's kind of what I did. I mean, a lot of people did not see the anger. I didn't treat my players with anger. I didn't treat people at church with anger. Um, but when I got home, then I would often take that out on my wife and kids. And, um, so, you know, it's definitely, we can see this sort of where you're able to hide it and tamp it down, but that doesn't make it go away. And, Unfortunately, you're going to take it out either on yourself or on other people at some point. Yeah, it's a lot easier as well to to take it out on people that you're with every single day as well, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. You can get under each other's skins and you can get in each other's ways. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And 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 you have this feeling that um, you know, well, they're stuck with me. I mean, if I'm if I'm rude to somebody out in the community, I might lose that friendship, but my family stuck with me so I can say whatever I want to them and they've got to put up with it. Well, as we know, they don't have to put up with it. And so that's, that's one thing yeah. that we've got to be careful about. Um, but you know, but even if they did have to put up with it, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong to treat people that way just because they have to sit there and take it. And, um, it's very important. And that's why I love having this program for husbands and fathers. It's very important for us to learn how to deal with that because we do a lot of damage when we don't. Well, exactly. I mean, it's the mindset, isn't it? Where we think we're not actually, I don't know, it almost feels like, oh, they're my people. I can, I can do what I like. But in reality, like you said, you can't really do that. It's not fair on the other people. It's 
But what's great is if you identify that it's happening, straight away you know that there's an issue, and then the next step is, right, how do I get help? What corner do I turn? Who do I speak to? Because, you know, the final thing could be I've lost my family for the way that, 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 that's been acting, if you know what I mean. If you're taking everything out on your, your, par- your, on your partner, on your children, they could literally, you could come home one day from work to an empty household. So yeah, it's better to get yeah. help before it gets to that yes. stage. That's so important. And I, I deal with this so many times. You know, again, men are notorious for not asking for help, not taking it, not raising their hand and whatever. Um, and so this is one thing that I deal with all the time is that even the few men who will reach out and say, I need help, most of them do not end up taking it. Um, and they feel like they can do it on their own or it's just going to get better or, you know, whatever. But the fact is that most of the time, if people feel like they need help, they really do need help. And it's a case where if you could fix it yourself, you probably already would have. And so, um, I would encourage any of your listeners, Jermaine, if they feel like they need help, they almost certainly do do not put it off because as you said, sometimes it can be too late and we we don't want to let it get there. No, exactly. Um, I think a lot of the time as well as, as men, we're all kind of sold this story that you're the macho ones. You must be the ones to bring home the bread. You must make sure that your family's got a roof over its head. And a lot of people don't realize the pressures that come along with that. I know, certainly. I mean, it was only this morning, bit of a vulnerable moment here. Um, I was driving up the M6 towards the docks to drop off a container. And from out of nowhere, actually nowhere, I started tearing up. I and mean, I was crying this morning, like tears streaming down my face. I felt extreme worthlessness and the pressures because work's dropped down a little bit. My wages are, are not really going up. The the inflation's gone up to like 10.2%. I'm barely making ends meet. And I, I just I sort of just broke down driving up. So I quickly turned on my uh, meditation app and, and, and was listening to it. And then luckily a friend had broken the silence by ringing me. And the first words that come out of his mouth was, how are you, Jermaine? You okay? And I went, no, mate, I'm really not. So I'm so glad that you called me. I need to speak to you. And, and we had a chat. And within about 10 minutes, I was laughing and joking after I got it off my chest. And he says, look, you only live once, mate. No point worrying over something we've got no control over. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Let's get to that stage first and we can cross that bridge when we get there. But I've only started opening up since I had my issue because I bottled a lot of things up. And when you bottle things up, a little bit like a uh, a thermostat on a car. <laughs> if you take the lid off too quick, it's going to explode and go everywhere. And it's a little bit like me. I built up that much that I start, when I did lose it, it was a big lose, if you know what I mean. I think I ended sure. up in uh, spending a night in a police station one time yeah. because I just saw red mist. I'm not a violent person, never had a fight in my life. But this one time was at a nightclub. And someone was giving me a lot of grief and I exploded. And before I knew it, I was, I was arrested. So out of the ordinary, my boss was shocked. It was like, not Jermaine. He's not like, but all it was, I saw everything in my life that had gone wrong and I let it out and I let it explode. But since a lot of that stuff, I've come to, to the realization and finally got, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff like that. 
they've said, be more open, Jermaine. Start to speak about your issues. If you've got a problem, don't let it eat you up inside. Start to speak to people around you. So now that's what I kind of do. I speak to a lot of people. I remember my friend spoke to me today. That's why I, I literally spill out my guts because it's like I'd rather dish it out on you than it sits simmering inside me, <laughs> especially when I'm driving around a 44-tonner. <laughs> I don't want to do anything daft and harm anybody else. But at this particular time and moment, I was quite vulnerable, didn't know what to do with myself. And, you know, when you're driving with tears rolling down your face, it, it's kind of hard as well, isn't it? So. Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love two things that you said, Jermaine. First of all, I, I appreciate your openness. Um, this is what men particularly need to hear is that they're not the only ones crying. I mean, they're not the only ones driving big, you know, big manly macho trucks and crying while they do so. I mean, we all do that. We all cry. We all get upset and there's no shame in it. So I love that you said that. I love what you said about getting help from your friend. Uh, this is something we all need. And then the other thing, Jermaine, that I love is that you noticed that the road you were going down mentally um, and you did something about it. You turned on a meditation app. And that's such a wonderful realization because this is where a lot of people don't they don't handle it well because they really don't even realize what's going on and something needs to be done. So, um, you know, when it comes to something like anger, since we're, we've kind of been talking about that a little bit and that's, I deal with that a lot, yeah. you know, what do we do about that? Um, if we're getting angry or we, we have a habit of, of anger and it's important to recognize that habit is an anger. I'm, I'm sorry. Anger is a habit. Sorry. Anger is a habit. Um, it's something that we get used to doing, and so we just do it naturally, um, but it's a habit that we can break. So, you know, I think it's helpful for us to think about what do we do if we see anger or if we know that we have a habit of anger, how do we handle that? Well, the first thing is to take responsibility. Again, I blame my dad for having a short temper. I blamed uh, my mother. Uh, she could kind of handle her anger in some, some difficult ways. Sometimes I blamed her. Um, I blamed all sorts of things. I made all sorts of excuses as to why I had an anger problem. I blamed my wife and my kids. Um, but, and this is the very first, I teach what I call the four pillars of success. And the very first pillar is taking responsibility. We cannot change anything until we take responsibility. That doesn't mean that we've caused everything. It does mean that we've got to respond to everything. We have to respond to everything that happens in the best possible way. As long as we're blaming and making excuses, we're not doing that. So that's really where it starts is accepting responsibility. If I have an issue with anger, I must be the one to deal with it. Nothing is going to magically change it. Nobody's going to change it. I have to change it. And then we have to work on our self-talk. We have to work on our limiting beliefs. Um, we have to work on that like I was doing. I was saying, well, I can't help it. My dad's at fault. My mom's at fault. Um, we've got to work on that self-talk and those limiting beliefs and eliminate those things. And we've got some things that we teach around that. Um, and then we have to create a vision of what our lives would look like if we were what we wanted to be. 
right? We get stuck thinking about what we don't like, what we don't want, the things that we don't, uh, uh, that we wish were different. Instead of focusing on a vision of what we do want things to be like. And part of that vision is a person who's calm and happy and kind and patient. And so these are some of the ways, Jermaine, that we deal with any sort of difficulty, but we're talking a little bit about anger. This is how we deal with it. Take responsibility. You have to be the one to fix it. Nobody else is. Do some work around the way that you talk to yourself and then um, create an ideal vision of yourself as a calm and patient person. And then we can start to work toward that. Yeah, almost a, a similar sort of stuff to what I um, am doing with. Um, I've I've downloaded well recently. I've downloaded this um, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Yeah, gratitude app, and it's it's like got a journal built in, and every day morning, yeah, well, you got you've got to make an entry three times a day yes. into your journal, and there's you've got like little emojis on there with like really sad face, angry face, happy face kind of thing, and every every day you you log in, so the first thing in the morning you see it straight away. You, you go to your phone, so there is a bit of a habit you've got to create for yourself, a bit like brushing your teeth every morning, making sure you get in a shower, that kind of thing, and making that a part of my my schedule in my day so to speak um and and i started doing that and after about two weeks of doing it you get this pattern starting to show up and then you you can sort of see why or or basically your triggers you can sort of see where your triggers are happening at what time of day they're happening uh, and then you can try and change that to stop any negative thoughts building up in your head. So if there's something that's upsetting you, I'll try and flip it and do it the opposite way around, if that makes any sense, try and combat that. But I think one of my main questions is for yourself, though. Why was you so angry at the world? What what was? Why was you angry at your dad? Why was you angry at your mother? What, what created that anger? That's a good question that I I don't know I have really an answer to. And so, I mean, I, I guess what comes to my mind is why anger? Why not grief? There was some grief. You know, why not sadness? Um, why not those? Why anger? Um, I, I, I don't know. I guess because I just felt like I had been robbed and was continuing to be robbed of so many things that I needed. And, you know, when you feel helpless and when you feel that life is unfair, that's a very infuriating mindset. Um, You just feel this frustration and bitterness and rage because you feel like you can't change it, although you can. And you feel like it's unfair. You know, why me? And I mean, I would literally thought that a million times. You know, why me? Why not that kid? Why not that kid? Why me? Yeah. Uh, and so that's just an infuriating mindset to be in. That's a really good question, Jermaine. I, it's it's a question I don't have a good answer to, but it's a beautiful question. Yeah. Uh, uh, before, oh, to be fair, before I asked it, I thought it's a bit of an odd one to ask him because, I mean, I've had that. Why me? I, I've had that quite a lot. And I'm, 
yeah, no, most of my friends are, are bored of me saying it. You know, why haven't I got this? I've, I've done yeah. everything I can. I've tried to be a good person throughout my life. And then I'm seeing people in my life that aren't so good, that have, have everything on a plate. And it's like, how have you... I mean, we've got a saying over here. I don't know if the same saying where you where you guys live, but we say that guy could fall in a pile of shit and come out smelling of roses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we have that too. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, so, and it's just like some guys, but someone did say to me, Jermaine, hard times come to people, I mean, uh, to people that can handle it. So God obviously realizes, Jermaine, that you can carry quite a lot on your shoulders, and that's why he's giving it to you and not somebody else, because if somebody else had it, it may not be the same for them. It may go the wrong way down. Um, I think Joe Rogan said something very similar as well, but I can't remember the actual quotation. I th- I don't know if Roger can find it. I think it's hard men make soft people. I can't remember it, so I'm not going to butcher it. <laughs> That's a really good saying in that. Um, the one thing that I picked up, I don't, don't want to ask this question. I can edit it out if you don't want me to. If, if, if I do ask it and you, you don't want to answer it, I can edit this out. Okay. How did you look, how, what did your father die of? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. Um, he died of a heart attack. Um, he was 44. Which oh uh, used to see, uh, used to seem really old to me, but now I know that's really young to die. He died of a heart attack, and he, um, uh, you know, he didn't really take great care of himself. Uh, he had some. He was overweight, and um, you know, he he didn't he wasn't he didn't have good health habits and that sort of thing. Um, but even at that, I mean, forty four is extremely young to die of a heart attack. It came out of nowhere. Um, there were no, you know, there had been no warning that anything was wrong. Uh, he and my mother uh, worked together. I tell people my parents were in prison together. They worked in a prison uh, yeah. in here in the States, in Kentucky. And um, he went to work, and he got f- kind of feeling bad. He said, I'm going to go outside and get some air. He collapsed. Uh, they took him to the hospital, and he died there at the hospital uh, from a heart attack. Oh, my God. That's literally seven years older than me now. That is, really? Yeah. That is so, so scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, Jermaine, 44 was a tough year for me. Um, when I was approaching yeah. and, and going through 44, you know, I had this, I mean, it's silly, but you have this idea that, you know, 44 is unlucky. And what if I go at 44 and I've got kids and the whole thing. So I, I made it. I'm 55. And so I'm, I'm good. But um, it was still kind of frightening. To, to be fair, that was literally one of the questions I was going to ask you if you were to answer that question. I was going to say, how did you, were you ever worried when you became a father? I obviously didn't know the age uh, when your father died. Yeah. But I was always, because my mom, my mom's dad died at 37. Uh, wow. Yeah. 37. He was, he was, like I said, he was an Irishman. Wow. And he worked on attics. And back then they had, there was filled with yep. asbestos, which yep. obviously everybody yep. knows now is really yep. bad to get into the lungs. Yep. On the death on the death certificate it noted um was it heart failure or brain? It was something to do with the heart or brain. I, I obviously don't know. My mom, my mother was only six months old when she lost her dad. So she didn't know it know her dad. But mm. my grandma met another Irish bloke and the other Irish bloke, you know, raised my mum. Roger's come he's just popped in here with hard times create strong men. Yeah. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak mm. men create hard times by, For sure. uh, is it Mikhail Hopf? Michael, yeah, or Michael, Michael Hopf. Hopf. 
Wow, Michael Hockford. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking, because my mum was extremely worried for me arriving at this age that I'm at now, at 37, and I actually put on the calendar my death year. I literally wrote, not happy birthday. I put my death year because it got into my head thinking wow. I'm not going to make it. And yeah. then for a joke, you know, for a joke, my mother-in-law had said, well, you're not 38 yet, Jermaine. You still got a year. So, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, know? totally. I mean, yeah, so my birthday's 10th of July when I finally turn 38, which is going to be a great birthday for me because it's like I made it. Yeah. But I did wonder, um, I mean, I had that question broke down. Did it ever worry you, obviously, becoming a dad, realizing of the age, now you've told me it's such a young age, was that it age to- a massive milestone for you and, and worry? Yeah. It had a lot of weird effects. Um, you know, like I said, he died of a heart attack. And, um, you know, one one day, um, and this is sort of a different sort of an issue, but it, it's just in on the topic of how how these things affect you in, in odd ways that don't make sense, but it still does. Um, I He died of a heart attack, and I was listening to a radio show one time about heart attacks, and I just thought, I'm going to have chest pains today. And I did. And I had to go to the hospital. Um, I, I couldn't breathe. They had to give me morphine and nitroglycerin. I was in the hospital for three days because of these chest pains that were literally self-induced. I mean, literally, I caused it to happen because for my whole life, I assumed a heart attack would get me and I assumed it would get me young, you know. And so I just I created this whole reality of heart disease and chest pains and the whole thing. So it's just, it's, it's interesting how, and people who haven't been through it really can't understand it. But when you experience a trauma, the ways that it can affect you are very strange. Um, but as far as my own fatherhood, um, the only thing I ever wanted to be was a dad, literally. Uh, the only thing I ever wanted to be was a dad from as young as I can remember. And one thing that I determined was that because I lost my father so young, I was not going to have regrets with my kids. And even though I had the anger and frustration, I was not a perfect father, but I never missed anything that my kids did. Um, I coached my kids every sport they ever played, except for one or two. I was at every game, every practice, every recital, every play. Um, And I just made up my mind that when it was all said and done, My kids would not have an absentee father like I had, obviously for different reasons, but, um, and that I would not have regrets. Jermaine, one of the, one of the most important things I ever decided was I'm not going to get to, you know, 70 and think, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I'm going to spend every second I can with them. Thankfully, because of my job, I was able to do that. A lot of people aren't. But you can, you know, we can all maximize that time. We can all do the best we can. I understand, again, with your job, my son is a trucker as well, my youngest son. Um, You know, you're gone a lot, but you got to put food on the table. There's only so much you can do. But you can maximize the time that you do have, which all of us need to do. And that's, I just made up my mind I was not going to have any regrets, and and I really haven't. Yeah, I must admit, that sounds... A lot like what I was on about to Roger last week about the mind is is super powerful. So what you've done there, obviously, you've created this this storm inside your head, thinking what happened to your dad's going to happen to you. Um, it was a totally different analogy. It was it, for last week. What I said was, um, if you ring up work pretending that you're sick, 
within two hours of that phone call, you actually start to feel sick because it's, it's on your mind. And yeah, the maximizing time. Yeah. I don't have a lot of time, but I mean like tonight after, after this show and I've picked the partner up where we're getting cheese and nachos and we're going to sit down and play monopoly together and, and have that family time because it's the best that we can do. But I just, in a way, I like how you've how you've done it and you've been able to get that time with your children and maximize it and not have any regrets as I like to call it the the um the um basically deathbed wishes or deathbed um thoughts so when you're on me and my missus will always say you don't want to get to that final breath regretting anything in life or or thinking, I should have done that. I should have done this. I should have taken that opportunity. Why wasn't I around more doing this? So at the minute, in a way, having a lot less work at the minute with the trucks, I'm kind of inside a bit excited as well because it means I get home a lot quicker. I get to spend time with the kids, get to to make sure that they're at football practice or soccer practice for you guys or horse riding <laughs> or or whatever it may be. And to be there because I missed out on quite a lot of them growing up. I really did. And I was one of them guys where I wanted to be involved when they first were born. I like to, obviously I couldn't breastfeed because I don't have breasts, but I would, you know, speak to the missus in, in confidence and say, look, I really want to have a go. It's not fair that you're waking up through the night feeding. Is there any way we can get a, a breast pump or something like that to fill bottles up? And then I can get up in the night and also be a part and, and create that bond. So I was fortunate to have that, but my dad was never around. He was he, I don't like speaking about my dad too much because <laughs> he's totally different to to who I was as a person. Um, but for you to have your dad stolen at such a young age, I don't, I don't know how I could cope with that. I, I really don't, especially because he's seven years old. You've you've had time with him. You've got to grow with him. But you know, you you may think you've not got memories of him too much. But when you start to talk about your father, you you realise you actually know more than what you might think of at the, at the start of it. And I'm not sure what your relationship's like with your mother at the moment. Does she ever speak to you about dad at all or? About my dad? Yeah. Does yeah, ever, definitely. Does she ever have chats with you about things and show you old photo albums or, or memories of, of who your dad was and celebrate your dad on his on his day, birthday still? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, my dad has always been a huge part of my life, uh, and, and because of my mother, mainly my mother was completely, um, enamored of my dad. Uh, she was just crazy about him and she passed that on to me. Um, you know, she talked about him all the time. Um, uh, she's given me pictures. She's given me, he was in the military. She's given me mementos from the military that he had books that he had. And so, yeah, my dad was always a huge, uh, part of my life. And I think that's healthy. You know, one thing that people do um, a lot of times when there's a loss, people are afraid to talk about it. You know, and I've even heard people say, well, you know, I know you just lost your mom or whatever. You just lost your mom. And I was afraid to bring it up. I didn't want to make you think about it and make you sad. And it's like, yeah. they're already thinking about it. They're already sad. And most people love the opportunity to talk about their loss and their grief and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm really happy that even though we lost him, that he was a still a huge, huge part of my life. Uh, definitely. And, and continues to be. Well, that's great. 
So at least you still got that inside. Definitely. So how did college years go for you? Terrible. All this? I know you were quite angry. Did it affect yeah. friendships or girlfriends or that kind of thing? Or, or the teachers? Was there any problems there? And if so, did the teachers at least work with you and understand your situation? Yeah, it was awful. To, to be honest with you, it was terrible. I mean, I, one thing that I had gotten into was the habit of doing barely enough to get by. I really felt like that I would be happy if I could do just enough, whether, whether it was work or school or whatever, just do barely enough to get by and I would be happy. And then I could go do things I enjoyed, not realizing that that's a truly miserable way to live. It It makes you feel horrible about yourself. It sets you up for failure. There's so many really bad things about living that way. And so my school years were very, very bad because I didn't try. Um, and, you know, and sometimes I just quit altogether. I didn't do anything. I just quit going to class. Um, I was lazy, um, you know, out of shape, uh, miserable, um, and trying to fill it, you know, with fun and that sort of thing. And it just didn't work. So now, my years at college and university were some of the worst of my life, really. Did you ever get any support from family members? During this time, obviously, you're still angry. When did it start to change? Did you go and seek help yourself or did somebody reach out to you and say, look, you know, David, I think you want to go and speak to somebody about this anger issue, whether it's anger management or, or anything like that to see like counseling for the, for, cause obviously from what I can hear from what you're saying, you was grieving for quite a long time about your pops, you know, feeling yeah, like were, you, you've had him stolen away. at such a, such a young age. Yeah. There were definitely people that, that reached out to help throughout the years. Um, a lot of people who, uh, from church and friends and, and that sort of thing. And, and even the, the gentleman who was eventually able to give me the help I needed, that was only because I was ready to reach out and ask for it. Um, the people that tried to help as long as I wasn't ready, it just it didn't do me any good. And I mean, this is why, again, taking personal responsibility is the foundation of my growth and the foundation of everything that I teach. Um, until someone is ready to get help, they're just it's not going to it's just not going to do any good we should reach out. We should constantly be reaching out to people until they tell us to stop. We should constantly reach out to people and try to help them. But the fact is until they're ready to take it, it's just not going to do any good. Yeah. Yeah. I've touched upon similar sort of thing with my brother, but um, he went for a bit of alcoholism and I, I in the end it got so much. I, I was quite harsh to him and said, look, the only way to know you've got a problem is by admitting that you've got the problem and then yeah. you can start to rebuild and repair as a person and heal. But if you're in denial about it, then you don't see that you've got a problem. It's everybody else that's got the problem kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, man, that's – wow. So all the way through there. Did you ever get into any kind of like substance abuse or drink out to, to try and drown it out or did you manage to stay away from all of that and – you know, try and just live your life the best that you could trying to get through each day. It's funny. I didn't. Um, and I don't really know why. Um, I, I was around it, certainly not in my home. Um, I grew up in a home where I, there's no alcohol. Um, and my home is that way too. I, we don't drink in, in our family. Um, no drugs, I think. And I don't know where this comes from, Jermaine, but 
I was so scared um, of drugs and alcohol. I had seen addiction. I had seen, and again, not really in my own family, but just around, but um, I had seen addiction. I had seen, you know, people ODing. I had seen all of these, you know, uh, violence and abuse and all of these horrible things. And there was just something about drugs and alcohol that scared the life out of me. And I just never, I was never tempted to do it. Um, and that's, that's really good <laughs> because, uh, I didn't need to add anything in that needed fixing. So I'm very, very happy that I was kept from that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's good as well that you've, you've had the strength to stay away from that. I mean, majority, well, some members of my family did, um, cannabis, um, and stuff like that. And alcohol, there was a lot of alcohol abuse in, in my family, especially on the, on my dad's side, we, we get addicted quite easily. Like for me, I've never touched drugs. Um, I, I drink very, you know, rarely it's like holiday, special holidays, or if I go out on a social night, which isn't a lot of times, but if so, you know, I'd have a couple of, couple of Guinnesses, um, to, to make me feel more confident on the night, suppose, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I've never gone into that because our family are addicted to things, and it can take over the lives. Like my grandma, she was heavily addicted to cider, um, big three liter bottles of cider. Um, she passed away um, quite young as well. She she ended up with wow. diabetes and then had a legs amputate. But she was my best friend. Wow, she was my best friend. My nan was was an absolute rock. She was funny. She. She, um, I don't want to offend anybody here, but this is her joke. So my nan lost both her legs because of um, circulation, because she was smoking 60 a day and she was on about oh, wow. six litres of cider. Wow. Yeah, there was definitely something in the background that caused all that. I didn't know because I was I was young. I didn't, I didn't really act. I, I always sensed something, but I never knew how to put the words together to say, nan, what happened? Why, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you hurting yourself? But as we got older, she managed to see my firstborn before she before she passed. It's quite weird, actually. So she lost both her legs and she was in a, a wheelchair. And one day she rings me up. She says, Jermaine, would you like to take me to a, a, a party for the disabled? I went, not really this weekend now because I'm a bit busy with work and the new baby and stuff like that. And she says, please come along because the floor's crawling with Fanny. <laughs> 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 and I was like... How could you say that, Nan? That's so bad. That's who she was. Yeah. Like, you know, she she she's so funny, my Nan. I, I love this a bit. She was my best friend. But one night, well, saying that, do you guys know what funny means? Yes. Yes. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't know if it would make sense in America. With, with the Germans, yeah. But, yeah, we yeah. definitely do. <laughs> but no, there was this one night I was laying in bed. Um, and I woke up halfway through the night with hot sweats and my, my partner, who I'm still with now, she, she woke up and said, what's up, Jermaine? You all right? I went, no, there's something wrong with my nan. And this was out of the blue. I'd been to sleep, you know, I'd have worked the next day, but I woke up at like two in the morning. I said, there's something wrong. I've got to speak to my dad. And at this point I weren't really speaking to my dad, even though I've been over to America to, to, to face him as a man and to, to question him about his, his ways of raising, um, mm. his children. Mm-hmm. But I rang him because I knew he was still in contact with my nan because obviously he's in America, she's still in England. So they, they talk, she sends him money and, and clothing or what, whatever it is that he needed. And he says, no, 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 nan's okay. Just spoke to her, she's fine. She's not in the hospital or anything. She's fine. I went, okay, there's definitely something wrong. And my missus was like, just go sleep, Jay. It's perhaps something else. But it was a strong gut feeling inside mm-hmm. my body that woke me up. 
by seven in the morning. So three, four, five, six, seven, five hours later, I had a phone call off my uncle telling me that my nan had died mm. um, during that night. And oh, it was so weird that I, I knew. And I think the way I'm looking at it is, I mean, I don't go to church or anything, but I believe that was, that was my nan talking to me mm. in my sleep to say, mm-hmm. Look, I'm, I'm going. And we later found out that she put on a, she was on kidney dialysis. Um, to, to clean her blood and whatnot because of the diabetes and stuff. And she was on kidney dialysis and she put on there, do not resuscitate if she was to, mm. to pass away during. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously she didn't want to, which I understand. I do understand she's out of pain now. Right. But at the time, which was quite weird, my granddad was, was her main carer. And my granddad was about 20 years older than her. It was like 76 from Jamaica, little guy. But to, to picture my granddad, you think of Uncle Ben's rice, if you ever heard of Uncle Ben. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what he looked like. But he loved his horses. He loved gambling on horses. He come from the he come from Jamaica to the UK in the 50s um, when, it, when, when it all opened up and allowed um, immigration to happen and start having other people working in, in this country, so to speak. I don't know the full ins and outs of it, but he brought with him some money because he had compensation. He used to be a cyclist, a road cyclist. Um, wow. He used to do races, like wow. races on bikes. Yeah. Um, he fell over, got the compensation and saw an opportunity to come to the U- United Kingdom. So he took it. He thought, why not? Um, and he, he just bought property, loads of property around. And in one of these properties, it had a, a um, what do you call it? Like I forget what you call it. Now. It's like a something where, where you go down like a pit, a pit for mechanics. So you mm-hmm. can go underneath the car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he taught himself the trade of mechanics and welder. And it was really good welder and, and whatnot. But anyway, that's just a bit of background to him. Just to give you a better story of who he was, yeah. he was a yeah. hardworking man. He he come from Jamaica, left his family there, but he was the main carer for my grandma. Now my grandma obviously had diabetes, lost both her legs, was in a mobility scooter or wheelchair. With she had prosthetic legs when she wanted to go out mm. because of you know she wants to she wants to make sure that she looks whole kind of thing, which I get. Mm-hmm. But we found out that my granddad at the time was actually severely um, poorly with Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. But nobody had caught it. Nobody had caught it. And one day he went missing and I had a phone call. Jermaine, granddad's gone missing. And all I said was go and look for him at the first place he met Nan. Because it was weird because it was that week that we watched a program on on, um, Alzheimer's. And it said normally they go back to where they, to an old memory. Mm. And there he was, the police brought him back. Um, eventually, we had to put him in a home because my uncles couldn't obviously care for him because one of them had moved away to the seaside with a doctor and the other one um, was busy lodging out down in London doing works for electrics and stuff like that and building building contract. So nobody was able to look after, after perhaps who he ended up mm. in a home. But it just goes to show you how the system over here failed. They're allowing a... a this this old bloke, you know, in his seventies, caring for my nanny was in her fifties. She with diabetes and wow. and he with Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah. But he, he's in a better place now, and definitely fortunate definitely. for us. Yeah, he's he's been buried with my nan as well. So they're both together wow. uh, forever, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. Gives me hope, you know. That yeah, absolutely, and better off. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, sorry for um, going off there on on a different sort of. No, no, that's, that's that no. Up. I I enjoy I, that's I enjoyed it, and um, it's I love it's a great story. Um, unfortunately, Jermaine, I've got an appointment. I've got to get. Um, I've got to go. I've got an appointment here at the top of the hour. Um, so yeah. I need to I need to run if that's all right. That's absolutely fine by me. Would you like to come back on the show to to finish off? 
I would. I would. And I'd love to. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, get with me and let me know kind of what your availability is. But I would love to. It's been a pleasure. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Jermaine, thank you. Um, and listen, you, you, you're really good at what you do. You have a lot of value to add. You really have a lot of good thoughts and good insights. And don't don't ever let your anybody or your inner voice tell you that you're not up to this or that you don't have anything to offer because you're really, really good at, at this. So keep well, doing you what you're doing. Much. Keep doing what you're doing. And let me know how I can support you. I've been on Facebook for a long time. If I can help you, if you ever have a question or want to run something by me, don't hesitate to let me know. Uh, but I'll help you however I can, Jermaine. I'd love to. No, that's absolutely brilliant. Right, guys. We're going to end it here. David's got to run off because that's his job. He's, he has got an appointment to go to. We'll hopefully get him back on the show. At some point, we'll try and dial in some dates and times. Um, and then we'll finish it off because there's a lot more I want to ask David and get deeper into that. So that's it for this week. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody and see you all next week. Don't forget to share and like and subscribe to the podcast. David, before you go, is there, anything, is there anyone you want to shout out? Any social media sites you want people to look at? To get in touch sure. yourself? Yeah, that would be great. Thank you, Jermaine. Yeah, I've got a website, uh, com for Take Back Your Life. And uh, anybody can find me on Facebook. I'm David Price in Moorhead City, North Carolina. Love to connect with anybody. Sorted. Thank you for coming on, David. Thanks, Jermaine. Appreciate it. Anyway, guys, that brings us to the end of today's episode, and I thank you very much for joining me in today's show. If you have enjoyed today's show, then please share, rate, and review. And if you wish to connect with me, then please do so by connecting to my Instagram page. Just search my life underscore my journey podcast. Also, if you would like to come on the show, then please send me a message to the IG page with a description of the issue you currently have or have already been through. Remember guys, our stories may just help somebody that is suffering silence right now. Until then, have a great day and see you all next time.